is The Trip That Changed Me, a podcast about trips that transform. I'm Esme Benjamin, editor of Full-Time Travel. And every other Thursday, I'll be sitting down with entrepreneurs, writers, entertainers, and everyday adventurers to discuss a journey that shifted their mindset, ignited a new calling, expanded their heart, or ushered in a new chapter. My guest this week, Lara Edmondson, is a digital creator, educator, organizer, podcast host, and owner of Cosmic Market, an online vintage jewelry shop. She's also one of those adventurous travelers living the van life dream, roaming around the US, working remotely on projects she's passionate about with her two dogs, Willie and Stan. Before Lara set off for a life of endless freedom in her van, she was following a more traditional path. After graduating, Lara took a nine to five job in education and tried to get excited about the same traditional milestones of adulthood that many people from her hometown were pursuing. The house, the spouse, the kids, the linear career. That all changed following a trip to France and Spain with a friend, which brought Lara to the realization that a life of travel, a life on her own terms, was what really made her soul sing. In today's episode, Lara and I discuss the logistics of life on the road, diversifying the van life and outdoor communities, and the importance of role models when we are seeking inspiration to go against the status quo. And where are you right now? I know you're van lifing, but whereabouts are you? Yeah, so I'm in Oracle, Arizona, which is between Tucson and Phoenix, if you know where that is at all. I'm on an artist commune where I lived for a few months last year. I'm back visiting. Um, That's cool. Friends here. Yeah, it's really cool. What happens on the artist commune? Well, it's mostly like folks in their 70s now, a few younger folks, but mostly older artists who've lived here their entire lives. So their parents are the ones that founded the commune. And mm. now the kids of those folks are the ones living here. And they do woodworking and ceramics and pottery and painting and writing. And there's a band that's staying here now. They're the artists in residence for the month. So like there's always different things going on, people coming and going. When COVID wasn't a thing, they would have gallery showings. And yeah, it's a really cool space. That's fascinating. And it's called Oracle? Uh, The town is called Oracle. The Mm -hmm. commune is called Rancho Linda Vista Oracle Arts. Amazing. Well, that's very mm-hmm. cool. I'm sure we're going to get on to all of your van life adventures later, but I always like to jump in by asking, where did your love of travel originate if you had to go all the way back to your formative years? If I had to go all the way back, I think it goes back to my mom said that she always wanted to travel and she didn't really get to as much as she had hoped when she was young. So I was also interested in travel and have really like committed to not letting that happen. Like I I didn't want to be telling my kids, you know, I really wanted to do this, but I didn't get to like I was going to make sure that it happened. And we didn't travel too much. We traveled within the States. We would go to the beach once a year, but always generally to the same place. We didn't travel too much growing up. But the first time when I was about 18, it was about the first time I left the country I went on a work trip with my mom of all places to Nevis, which is this tiny island in the West Indies. It was absolutely beautiful. We were there for about three days. It was a very short trip, but it really 
that's just kind of like opened up the possibility of travel. Like, oh, this is something that's approachable. This is something I could do. And then um, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I took a, a longer trip for about two weeks to Paris and Barcelona with a friend of mine right after I graduated college. And that was really the trip that I had the autonomy. I was traveling like without my parents for the first time. I had just left college. So a lot of like the obligations back home were done with. So that was really when travel became a realistic option for me, something that I could do more frequently. And the trip to Paris and Barcelona was the first international trip you'd ever taken as a young person alone. Yes. Yeah. I remember when I took a gap year at about 18 years old, I remember going to Heathrow to like set off on this big round the world trip. And I realized when I got to the airport that I didn't know whether I was supposed to head to arrivals because technically I just arrived at the airport <laughs> <laughs> or departures. I remember having a moment where I just stood there looking at the signs. I was like, oh, I just normally follow my parents. I don't actually know <laughs> what I'm doing at all. <laughs> were there any moments like that when you were on your trip? Yes, absolutely. So we got to Paris and I speak still a little bit of French. I'd taken like nine semesters of French and some of it stuck enough that I could ask for directions. Didn't quite fully understand the directions we were getting back, but <laughs> we had a map. We were like trying to figure out the map. The map was in French. All the roadsides are in French. And I just remember thinking like, like looking around for someone that was supposed to be in charge to give us direction what to do and realizing that that was us and we were on our own. <laughs> like we're the adults that we're looking for. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a learning curve for sure. And um, mm -hmm. your friend originally planned on taking this trip with another friend of hers, but that person mm -hmm. dropped out. Had the two of them done much planning? Was there an itinerary? I think they they had found like a travel agency, mm -hmm. which is a very loose term for the 1-800 number that we called that thankfully did not end up being a scam. <laughs> so they had like done that amount of research to find like, oh, if we call this place, they'll book the hotels for us, they'll book the flights for us. It'll be cheaper than if we do it ourselves. There's decent reviews online that say this probably isn't a scam we feel comfortable giving them our money. But as far as like what we were actually going to do when we were there, they hadn't planned much. I don't think they had really planned anything. And to be honest, we didn't plan anything either. So they were about as far along as in the planning as we ever got. <laughs> well, I feel like when you're young as well, you, you maybe are a bit more casual and laissez-faire about these kinds of things. <laughs> you're mm -hmm. like, oh, we'll just figure it out as we go along. It's not a big deal. Exactly. And obviously this kind of time you just graduated from college right which is kind of a a weird time where you're thrust into the quote-unquote real world and you know you have even if you do know what you want to do with your life I think it can still be tricky to navigate because you realize you're going to have to start working towards what society expects of you those typical milestones do you remember what you had planned? Like, did you have a five-year plan? Were you specific about where you were going with your life at that point? Oh, for sure. So I went to college. Um, I studied education with a focus on deafness. So I was working at a school for the deaf in my hometown when I graduated. I was already working full-time when I graduated. And I really loved my job. Thought that I would stay there forever, which is bizarre to me to think about that, like, 22-year-old me thought I was going to stay there forever. But that's really what that's what I thought when I was there. So I was like, 
That's a really that interesting job. What, what inspired you to go that route with your career? I've always had a passion for education, which is what I still do now, um, just in a very different form. But I have also always had a passion for languages, which is why I took so much French. I also took American Sign Language and really fell in love with that. And so I was looking for a way that I could combine my love of sign language and education and working out of school for the deaf seemed like the perfect fit. And like I said, I really, really enjoyed it. And then coming from the South, I grew up in Tennessee. There's an expectation that, you know, you go to school, you find a husband, you get married, you have the kids, you do the thing in the order that Mm. is prescribed. And so that's kind of what I had always expected would happen. And my friend who I took the trip with is really one of the first people I knew closely that was challenging that narrative. So not only was I getting to like leave the country, I was also kind of like spending a lot of time with this other person who really helped me rethink my options over Mm. those two weeks. Like she and I had been, had been good friends for years um, through work, but yeah, just like getting to hear her thoughts on things that we were experiencing and like, oh, this doesn't have to be a one-time thing. Like she was talking about the next trip she was going to take and like, yeah, it just really opened my eyes a lot of different ways that trip did. Do people tend to get married quite young in Tennessee? I would say so, given like the rest of the world, I think the average is much younger, like early 20s is not unusual at all. Mm -hmm. It's actually really interesting. So right now I'm pregnant with my first child and I'm in my mid 30s and I'm Mm -hmm. on like Reddit forums and stuff. And I'm always amazed by how many like 20 year olds or I think 22 year olds are also having their first child. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like. I'm I'm doing yeah. this much later than like other people in other areas of the country are. It's fascinating. Yes. My best friend at the time when I was on this trip, my best friend, um, she'd gotten married at 21 and was like well into her first pregnancy at 22, 23 when we were on the trip. So yeah, they, and that was completely normal. That's how a lot of my friends have lived their lives and they loved it. And I'm happy for them. And I'm really happy that I found, you know, the path that worked best for me. Do you feel like being away in a different country, in a different environment, gave you the space to kind of imagine your life going a different route? Absolutely. I think it just kind of showed me other people who were living differently. Not only my friends who I was traveling with, but just the people around us, meeting other travelers who were, you know, on the road for months at a time, just thinking like, oh, wow, that is really a possibility that could be something I could do one day. And yeah, just getting to meet other people who are living other lifestyles, not that they're necessarily alternative or better or worse, just something mm-hmm. different that I hadn't really experienced before because I'd never lived anywhere else. I was born in Tennessee and lived for the first 23, 24 years of my life there. So yeah, it was definitely um, the shakeup that I needed for sure. Yeah, because if we don't see examples of other people living different kinds of lives, then we don't always know that that's available to us. So that's mm-hmm. it's really important when you're a young person trying to figure things out. But I imagine the fact that you were young means that you guys didn't have a ton of money. So how did you manage to make the most of the experience on a budget, assuming you were on a budget? Yeah, we were on a bit of a budget. So I, I had just graduated and tradition is that you get monetary gifts for graduating. Mm-hmm. So I had a little bit of in my pocket and I wasn't paying rent at the time. So I lived at the school. So I did have a little bit of money saved up. But yeah, we were definitely uh, on a budget. So we 
spent a lot of time shopping, but not like high end <laughs> shopping. We were like going to H and M because I don't think there was an H and M so funny <laughs> anywhere near us in the states. Yeah, it's hilarious to think back now that that was like mind blowing. It's like, oh my god, there's a Zara. You should go there. <laughs> <laughs> And they were like obviously free to go in. You don't have to pay an entrance fee, you pay by shopping, you know? (laughs) So we would spend our time like walking through shopping districts and just like everything in Europe felt historic and remarkable because the United States is so young. That was another thing that was really striking about going to Europe. So yeah, just like walking around the Champs Elysees, just looking at everything was magnificent enough for us in you know our early 20s to just be surrounded by that much history and not know any of it just to see it was wonderful but yeah we we went out to Versailles and saw that we went to the Louvre so we did some of like major things we saw Moulin Rouge oh yeah the Sacré-Cœur yeah so we had some all the bucket list things (laughs) exactly exactly we got to Spain we were exhausted so we did like a Gaudi tour I think and then spent a lot of time on beach nice were you guys staying in hostels or hotels we were in hotels we were in one hotel at each spot we didn't move around nice that's nicer than a hostel I don't know how much time you spent in hostels which I, I spent quite a lot of time when I was younger in hostels and it's uh it's an experience. I would have much preferred to stay in a hotel all those times. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did a, a few months in Southeast Asia um, back in 2015, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, definitely bounced around a few hostels. It's a very different experience. It's so weird thinking of now for me. I'm like a very funny, finicky kind of a sleeper. And the thought of sleeping in a room with like 10 other people is unfathomable to me now in bunk beds. Oh my God. But you know, <laughs> you got to do it. It's part of the experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you, would you say that you're a risk taker when you travel? I would say no. I don't really consider myself a risk taker, but looking back, I've definitely done some risky things <laughs> that I don't necessarily think I considered to be risky in the moment if that makes sense. On on the trip to Paris, absolutely. We um we went out dancing one night and met this American man and we were like, "You're American? We're American." <laughs> oh my goodness. Who who would have thought that was possible? <laughs> and so, we were all kind of chatting with a few other folks and the club was shutting down and they were like, you know, we should go get some food. Let's go get food. It's late. So we were like, sure, let's do that. That sounds like a great idea. So we got into this big black SUV and drove all the way across Paris to this amazing restaurant. If anyone who's listening has been to Versailles, it almost looked like that. It was like gold and marvelous paintings everywhere. And it was just probably one of the fanciest restaurants we went to the entire trip and had chocolate ice cream at like two in the morning. And then we like kind of came to our senses after eating a little bit. And we we're like, oh, wow, that was not the smartest decision we've made this trip. We should probably not accept another ride from this stranger. So we're like, no, we'll find our own way back. But um, I don't think Uber was a thing then. So we didn't know how to get a cab. So we ended up walking across Paris. Um, it took us probably two hours to get back to our hotel. 
but it was kind of lovely just to like watch the sun come up watch Paris come alive for the day everybody you know like rolling out their carts and pulling out pulling up their curtains and everything it was really beautiful but yeah definitely um a risky decision that I did not tell my mom about so if you're listening (laughs) mom sorry but hey I survived (laughs) it's just it's interesting because I think some people when they travel are more likely to take risks and maybe other people are less likely to take risks than they would do at home I feel like I'm a person Mm -hmm. who probably takes more risk but I think it's it's partly because when I'm in a place I feel so I don't know like the newness of it I feel like I'm kind of falling in love with the place and I want to see everything and so I'm just like walking around I've been in a couple of places including Las Vegas and New Orleans where police have come up to me and been like you can't walk around here you know (laughs) it's not safe (laughs) I've been like is it not it seems fine (laughs) like no you need to go I'm like okay I will (laughs) It's just interesting how people fall into these two camps, I think, of being like very, maybe I'm just not street smart, I don't know, but being very um, like conscious of their surroundings when they're in foreign surroundings or being extremely trusting. I don't know where that is. Yeah, I take, I take what I call calculated risks. Mm-hmm. So like I took a six month rock climbing trip overseas, bought a one-way ticket and like rock climbing itself is inherently risky but I remember one day we were taking a break from climbing and we were hanging out by the river doing a little barbecue and they were like, Oh, we should go climb that tree and like jump into the river. And I was like, I'm not doing that. Are y'all nuts? Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> and then we saw some locals do it and we we're like, okay, well now we can do it. Now if the locals think it's safe, then we'll do it. But like, right, it's not. yeah, I, I'm very cautious <laughs> in some ways, but in others, not so much. <laughs> So going back to your trip, some people would have gone on a trip like this and been like, well, that was a great experience. And then gone home and started pursuing those usual milestones of adulthood. But was there something that happened on this trip, a particular experience that made you think, oh, I really want travel to be a part of my life in a more central way? Hmm. I think just being so immersed in another culture and like I was saying earlier, just being able to see different ways of living that weren't so different. They they seemed like something I could do, but were different enough that they piqued my curiosity. I think that's what really got the travel bug deeply, deeply seated in myself because we, we went to two different places on that trip. So like being able to move around like that on our own, being able to navigate a foreign airport, things like that, like just, just tell, like discovering for myself that I did have what it takes to do something like that um, was really what gave me the confidence to pursue travel more sincerely. Yeah, it's definitely a confidence building thing, especially when you're young. And how Mm -hmm. did you go about making travel a big part of your life once you got back to the States? So a few months after that, I started dating someone long distance. So I was traveling quite a bit across the country to see him. He was living in Wyoming at the time. And so that was another completely different place that I'd never been before. And so Mm -hmm. going there quite frequently kind of was scratching that itch. But I still, you know, was at the point where I needed to work a nine to five job. So after uh, about a year of traveling back and forth and moving to Wyoming and Um, lived there for about two years and upon leaving Wyoming 
I was not quite sure where I wanted to go when I was done living there. So that's when I booked a one-way ticket to Greece and climbed in Greece for about two months and then in Southeast Asia for a few months after that. And um, yeah, I think that was probably when I was like, okay, so I can I can make it work with doing a little bit of work here and there and still being able to travel and make my ends meet. So I moved to Wyoming. The population there is very small. And so I was working in a special ed classroom with some students who were nonverbal and I was teaching them sign language as a means of communication, but they, they didn't have hearing loss. So that's what I was doing there. And then after I got, after I was traveling, I was kind of just doing freelance work, a little bit of like content creation stuff, but nothing too heavy. Um, came back to the States and started working for a nonprofit for a few years. And really this last bout of travel was born from working for that nonprofit. So I was on the road every other weekend. I was flying across the country doing some workshop or seminar or training or something. And that kind of revived my my love of traveling. And so I, I was able to kind of parlay that job into being done for my van. So I was able to work for my nonprofit, work my nine to five from my van. And since then have left that job and I work full time as a freelancer now. But yeah, so I've kind of found my way back to traveling full time and it took it took some work. It took some finagling. I think um the steps that I took were necessary to kind of prepare and lay the groundwork that I needed to be able to work for myself and have the discipline that it takes to work while traveling. But it's been it's been really wonderful. And I think it's been almost two years now that I've been working for myself and working from the road. So when did you first buy a van? How did the van come into the picture? So this is my third van. So I've been van lifing on and off for a while now. Um, back in 2015, I bought a 1993 Ford E150. That was kind of like a bed with a cooler in the back. That was mm-hmm. about it. It was very basic. And I traveled and climbed in that for about six months before it died. And then um, back in 2019, I bought my second van which was a Ford Transit Connect another tiny little van a little bit newer it was in 2013 but again pretty simple build it was just a bed and a small countertop and a tiny micro fridge did Um, you build it yourself or did you buy it already built out no so it was completely empty um my dad and I actually built it out together nice um in construction yeah and so he had tons of leftover you know um materials from insulation to wood paneling and all kinds of things so we were able to kind of cobble it together over about two months it was a pretty quick build and then I was in that for about two years and last fall my partner and I actually just bought a new to us sprinter van it's not that fancy in like the like the spectrum of sprinter vans but for us it's like a mansion it's wonderful we can both stand up to our full height in it we have a kitchen with a sink and a stove it's amazing um a full-size bed it's great yeah that sounds so perfect how did you make the decision ultimately to go from kind of doing these regular trips in the van and, and you know trips for work and then decide to go all in on the nomadic thing living and working out of a van? 
I think I've never really found a place that I want to be full time, like 100% of the time where I want to settle down. I've never found that place or I haven't yet. I'm still leaving the door open for that. That's part of why this more nomadic lifestyle works for me because I have friends all over the country. I have places I can go and feel at home, but there's nowhere that I'm like, okay, this is where I want to be. This is where I want my base to be. I haven't found that place yet. And when I got my second van, that was kind of the intention was like, okay, well, I'm going to travel for a few years. Maybe that place will come to me. Maybe I'll come across it. And it still hasn't happened yet. And living on the road is still my preference. So we decided to go all in and get the bigger van. And that's, that's what we're doing for the foreseeable future. Nice. Me and my husband and my dog, we were traveling um, from like last summer and up until the winter, but not in a van. We were just kind of driving from place to place and then doing like Airbnbs or hotels um, and working on the road. And kind of the same thing as you, like, I didn't really know what the future held, didn't know whether I wanted to stay in New York. And I liked the idea of speed dating America, you <laughs> know, just like <laughs> visiting all the places and seeing if there was anywhere else that just felt right. But yeah, it's interesting to, to get the, to have that experience. Have there been any places that have stood out for you that you feel like, you know what, this is somewhere that I return to again and again, or that you have a particular love for? Mm. So I'm, um, I'm in Oracle now, which is just north of Tucson. And I really have enjoyed spending time in Tucson. I have a good friend that lives there. Um, and my partner grew up in the Arizona area. He knows the town pretty well and really enjoyed my time in Tucson. Um, San Francisco is another area that I keep going back to. My best friend, she lives there right on the beach. And we've parked the van up there probably four times now for good chunks of time each time we go. And it's just, I love that city. It's beautiful. I still don't know if I would want to live in either of them full time. But if I was like, you know, in my dream world, I'd have like a tiny house and, both, <laughs> and that way I can come and go. <laughs> and in terms of work, I know you're a real multi-hyphenate. So how did you hone in on your strengths and skills and figure out how to make a sustainable living from them while you're on the road? What are you working on right now? What am I working on right now? That's a great question. <laughs> Like I said, I've always loved educating. I've been in educational roles since I was like 16, working at a, as a summer camp counselor and then as a preschool teacher and then as a elementary school teacher and all these different things. Um, so shifting to, you know, like online education has been, it kind of felt natural in a way because education comes naturally to me. And it seems like people are interested in, and willing to learn and wanting to learn. So I kind of just started creating resources and letting people know, you know, if you want to pay me for what you're learning, you can. And that's kind of how I was able to step away from my full-time job and support myself just through working online, doing also some more traditional content creation with like brands and companies. I also do workshops that are not hosted on social media. They're like online for um, different companies like DEI training, things like that. I also started a vintage jewelry company. So it's been a really fun creative outlet the last year. So I'll find like vintage jewelry from stores all across the country and like curate um, my own collection. If anybody wants to check that out, it's Cosmic Market. That's the name of my shop. I also have a podcast called Let Us Rest. So yeah, I have my hands in a few different projects. <laughs> and I know you also have your own vlog. 
that's an interesting mm. one for someone who lives on the road, I think, because I mean, I don't know, do you have any safety concerns in terms of like when you're posting, do you try and have like a delay so that you people can't exactly know where you are at that time? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) No, I I totally know what you mean. And a few years ago, I wrote up a list of like safety tips for women on the road. And that was one of them is like, don't post your location in real time. So yeah, along with just being busy and not being able to post things in real time, that is also a reason (laughs) that I don't post in real time. And I don't post the vlogs publicly. They're all on my Patreon. So you kind of have to be a little bit bought in to to watch the vlogs, but they're also, (laughs) yeah, a little bit. But yeah, they're they're also delayed with that intention of not giving anything away in the moment because our van is kind of unique looking. So we try not to tell people exactly where we are, like in at, as we're there. We try not to tell people where we are as we're there. Does that make sense? Now I'm questioning yeah. if I'm making no, no, no. <laughs> you make, it makes perfect sense. One thing I noticed okay. when I was on the road was um, people. I would see people in their vans, and they have scrawled on the outside of the van their like Instagram handles and their TikTok handles so that wherever they are they're like promoting themselves which I thought was interesting I love that for them it's not (laughs) part of my journey (laughs) it's not part of my journey (laughs) especially not when I was traveling alone that would be a real safety concern to be like hey here's this like solo female traveler it's a big target if anybody's looking for her (laughs) I would very highly caution anyone from doing that for those reasons. Like, mm. get your bag, get your followers, whatever you need to do, but please put your safety on your list of priorities. I interviewed Brianne Achio, one of the co-founders of the Van Life app. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's like a community and resources kind of app. And she was mentioning that internet connectivity can be tricky in some areas of the of the country when you're traveling. Like if you... If you're staying in a van and you want to be near a national park, sometimes you will find it hard to get online. Have you encountered anything along those lines in terms of challenges during your van life adventures? Absolutely. So I built out my second van um, maybe like four or five months before COVID hit. So I had built it with the intention of being able to shower at a Planet Fitness and use coffee shops for Wi-Fi. But then all of a sudden, all of those options were taken away with the pandemic finding options for wi-fi connectivity like you said or even just like being able to take a shower became a lot trickier so i'm lucky if i know i have work to do like say i know i'm recording a podcast i can plan to be somewhere with strong cell service i can hotspot for my phone which is what i most often do or i'll plan to be near someone's house who i know and i can jump in their house and use their wi-fi which is what I'm doing right now. So it does take a little bit more planning that way. But I also try and like schedule work things so they're kind of like grouped together in the month. So I can take a few weeks to be more remote and a few weeks to be more connected and kind of find balance that way. But it definitely is a struggle. And someone was just telling me about there's a nonprofit based in New York that is trying to solve this problem. I don't know if it's directed specifically towards van lifers, but they've got this little hotspot box that doesn't throttle. So I guess there's some law that if you're a nonprofit, your data is not allowed to be throttled the way it is for like typical cell service. Hmm, I think it's called MyPi. 
great hack there. And if anybody, yeah, if anybody is listening, I borrowed a friend's earlier in the week and it worked wonderfully. It's faster than any internet I've used out in this area before. So I think that's probably what my next investment will be for the van. But if anybody listening is a van lifer, I encourage you to check it out. And if those were the challenges, what have been the biggest joys so far of van life? Oh my gosh. (laughs) There's so many. There's so many. Just getting to wake up in some of the most beautiful places. Once we put our like window shades up at night, you can kind of forget where you are. So it doesn't really matter if you're in a Walmart parking lot or, you know, the side of a cliff overlooking the ocean. But those days where you're like, huh, where did we park last night? You pull the covers down and you see just the most beautiful scenery that nature has to offer. It's wonderful. Getting to slow down and unplug from the traditional, you know, alarm clock waking you up, going into work, doing the thing, sending the emails, doing that all day. And then maybe you have a few hours to yourself in the evening. And it's such a privilege to be able to unplug. I'll say that. Like, I am very fortunate and lucky and privileged to be able to live the lifestyle that I do. But it definitely is. It's wonderful. I love it. I would not. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, the disconnecting thing is <laughs> is is weird because we need to be online for so many things, but we don't get nearly enough time away from our phones and away from our internet connections. I just literally today bought myself this gadget. <laughs> that basically locks your phone for a certain amount of time (laughs) so you put your phone in and then you lock it for like an hour or three hours and um, it has functionality where if you get an emergency call like you can't answer your call but you can't get onto the apps and stuff until that time has lapsed and I was like this is what it's come down to Esme (laughs) this is where you are (laughs) I've seen the little like the little like cookie jars with the timers the cookie jars are all <laughs> equally useful I think if you have a bit of a phone addiction which most of us do yeah I won't say I'm completely disconnected from the internet as much as I would like to be but being able to choose when to connect and not feeling forced to is is nice so nice and it must have been interesting for you to see the fact that during the pandemic so many people have used that as an opportunity to do the van life thing do you feel like you've Mm -hmm. seen a lot more people on the road have you spoken to people who have just started doing this now I'm trying to think if I know anyone personally who's just getting into van life I feel like most of my van life friends have been doing it for a few years now but I definitely have noticed more people at some of the more remote spots that I've been to um like just this weekend I was parked up outside Tucson at a place that I did not expect to run into anyone. And there were at least four, maybe even like five or six other vans there, which I think is great. I think getting more people on the road, getting more people traveling is wonderful. I know that sometimes the newbies get a bad rap as if like they're contributing to crowding or like littering or something like that. But I don't think that any of us are any more entitled to to van life or to be in these beautiful places than anyone else. So yeah, I, I welcome the growth in the community. I think it's wonderful. Are your parents supportive of, of your lifestyle? <laughs> they really are. I have to say I was just home for a few weeks for Christmas and my dad just kept saying how proud he was of me oh. being able to live the life that I want to, which is really, it really means a lot because 
some some parents aren't some parents aren't supportive some parents just worry which I can empathize with my mom mm. is one of those she's a worrier so she's like I'm glad you're happy please be safe that's what her main concern is um and yeah like I said I empathize with that but it is good to know that they're both you know fully supportive of me choosing to live the way I want to I read um, on your website that you're a transracial adoptee, which for anyone who's not familiar means you're a black woman and your adoptive parents are both white. I'm curious to know whether you think that that experience has influenced you or inspired you and the way that you explore the world. It's definitely influenced me, specifically like in the van life community, which is very adjacent to the outdoor community, which has been pretty white centric it's now starting to change in the last few years Um, i'm part of an organization called brown girls climb that's trying to change that there are several other affinity groups trying to diversify the outdoor and van life spaces but i think growing up in a white family and a white community definitely i don't know if it made me feel more comfortable in white spaces but it made me more used to it Mm. so like going into a campground and not seeing any other people of color that was kind of what I would be expecting going like that's what I had grown up with that's what I was used to so whether or not I felt comfortable I was definitely used to it and I had done it before so I knew I could do it again so I think that that the experience of being a TRA in that realm has kind of yeah made van life seem more approachable to me it's interesting you said that you know the outdoor community is becoming more diverse why do you think that, that that's slowly changing? I think it's it's been a lot of work, a lot of people to make it more accessible and more safe for Black people, Indigenous people, other people of color to get involved. I think that interest has always been there, but there have been quite a few barriers. Like for climbing, when you think of climbing, for example, there was like this whole rise in climbing and like alternative climbing culture that was happening in Yosemite. And at the same time, Black people in America were fighting for civil rights. So while like, you know, the white kind of like hippie alternative crowd was like running into the hills and living off the land and rock climbing all the time, like Black people were trying to survive. So I think that kind of has had a hand in why it's taken a little bit longer for the outdoor community to reflect the diversity of our country. There's also just like specific barriers, like having leisure time to go hiking on the weekends or to go camping, you know, feeling safe. We saw the story of the the guy who was invited out on a hunting trip and was killed by the people who invited him on the trip. So that sounds horrific. Yeah. Yeah. It was recent. It was in the last month, I would say. It's been in the news. Mm -hmm. So there are definitely like safety concerns that come with going off the grid and not being able to call for help if you need it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons why people of color, Black people haven't been involved in the outdoor community, but I think that's changing um, because like we said earlier, you need to see people doing something for you to be able to see yourself yeah. doing it. I think as the representation has increased, as these paths have been forged by people that came before me, makes me feel better about doing things that then will let the next generation feel better about doing things so yeah I'm glad to see that it's changing I'm very glad and for anyone who who was interested 
and maybe hadn't had the opportunity or the like we were saying the role models what would be your top tips for getting more involved in like outdoor communities I would say at this point you could basically search like identity plus activity and you'll find some group doing it so if it's like black girls boulder or you know like brown people camping I think is one like gay folks hike whatever like there's so many affinity groups trying to create space for people in marginalized communities I strongly encourage people to reach out if there's not a specific local group in your area I would still say reach out because they probably know someone that knows someone that can get you connected and you can find community in the outdoors if that's what you're looking for I'd also love to talk about your partnership with the Soul Care Fund. Can you elaborate on what it is um, and what you do for it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I started (laughs) finally seeing a therapist back in 2020. (laughs) Um, Me too. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm sure a lot of folks can relate to that. (laughs) Very relatable. (laughs) It's a very trying year. And so I think it was... Yeah, it was January 6th when the Capitol insurrection happened. And the next day I was like, okay, this can't be the start of 2021. We have to do something else with this. No, I'm not, I'm not letting this be the thing that happened this week. So I posted on Instagram and I was, we had all just gotten our stimulus checks also. So I was like, hey, I'm going to donate my stimulus check to the Soul Care Collective, which is where I was going to therapy at the time because they provide free and affordable mental health care to Black and Indigenous people um, who need it. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to donate my stimulus check. If anybody else wants to chip in, it's like 60 bucks for an hour of therapy. It's, of course, an all-Black mental health care collective. If anybody else wants to contribute, you know, you can hit me up on Venmo or you can donate directly to the Soul Care Fund. And it just completely took off. We ended up raising $30,000 in less than three days. Wow. It was amazing. Yeah, it was wild. I had no, no idea that that's where it was going. I thought maybe we would cover, you know, like 10 hours of therapy would be awesome. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we ended up covering over 100 people getting five hours of therapy each. I think that's like 500 hours. It was pretty cool. Incredible. Um, yeah. So in talking with the Soul Care Collective this year, I was like, hey, we should do this again. We should make this a yearly thing. And so now um, that's how the Soul Care Fund was born. And yeah, so I, I don't work for the Soul Care Collective. I just kind of like have lent my platform to them and have helped with the marketing because in my last job, I was um, working with a nonprofit. I did a lot of fundraising. So I've kind of just lent my skills and platform to them to kind of get the word out but yeah we're we're fundraising if anybody would like to donate fullcarecollective.org or you can find my instagram it's on there if anybody is in need of free therapy you can sign up also fullcarecollective.org but yeah it's been really beautiful to see folks like see the need and value supporting other people in their community um something i've been talking about a lot throughout the pandemic is the need for community care and to see people really stepping up and showing that they value other members of their community Mm. is really beautiful. Absolutely. Well, that's a perfect note to end on. Lara, you've been so awesome. And thank you so much for sharing so many thoughtful things. I really appreciate all of the work that you're doing and 
you know, you're, you're creating great content and just living an inspiring life. So thanks for being a great guest. Thank you so much for having me. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Big question, because I'm sure me. lots of places. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say the two, the two places to find me would be Instagram, which is laura.edmondson. Um, or you can find me on my website, lauraedmondson.co. Um, you can also find me at cosmicmarket.co on Instagram. If you want to check out my vintage jewelry line. And we'll link those in the show notes as well. If anyone wants to look at them. Before you go, I'd love to do a quick fire round. Sure. Okay, let's jump in. What's the one thing every person should experience in their lifetime? I think being in a room full of people that speak another language than you. Hmm. Good. Like that, that experience of being disoriented is, I think, a very good experience for people to have. Absolutely. Favorite place to visit in the U.S.? Wyoming. Anywhere in the state. I think Wyoming is underrated, you know. It's one of my favorites and not enough people visit. Wyoming and Idaho. I say people are always sleeping on Idaho. They're both Mm. gorgeous. What's the one thing you never travel without? My dogs. Oh, what are their names and what breeds are they? (laughs) Um, so Willie is the oldest. He's seven. He's a King Charles Spaniel. And then Stanley is two and a half. He is a Shih Tzu Westie cross. And oh. we just adopted him about six weeks ago. He's new. He's new to the pack. Oh, dogs are life. They're the best. Mm-hmm. Top tip for anybody curious about van life. The community will give you the answer you're looking for. There are so many questions and trust me, somebody knows the answer. Reach out to another van lifer. They'll be more than happy to help you. Um, Reach out to me. I've lived in three different vans now. I've van lifed on and off for the last seven years. The van life community wants to help you. We have the answers you're looking for. Don't be afraid to ask for help. If you could teleport anywhere just for the day, where would you go and what would you do? Oh, good question. I feel like my brain just short-circuited. There's so many options. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would really love to go back to Greece in the summertime. I was in Greece in like October-ish, October, November. And I would really love to go back in the summer and enjoy the beaches. Yes, you can't beat a Grecian beach. So nice. Um, a podcast, show, or book you'd recommend for a long journey? Mm, Erica Hart has a podcast called Hood Rat to Head Rat. That's very good, very thought provoking, very long episodes, which are great for road tripping. Top tip for traveling with pets? Be prepared to take lots of breaks. And yeah, have distractions handy. Chew toys, treats, all the things. <laughs> do your dogs, do they mind long journeys? Willie is great in the car. He is great anywhere and everywhere. Stanley has a bit of car anxiety that we're working on. Um, someone recommended this 
like meditation frequency basically it's 432 megahertz and it's like a meditation song with this frequency in the background that's supposed to be very calming and it works wonders I highly recommend it if you that's have an anxious so time. interesting what's it called it literally you just type in 432 mh I think that's what it is 432 megahertz whatever the abbreviation is for megahertz mm-hmm. um if you search it on spotify or apple you'll be able to find it it's it's wonderful one to remember um and finally <laughs> where is next on your bucket list Alaska we were supposed to go to Alaska. We we're supposed to road trip up the west coast of the U.S. and into Alaska last summer, but my partner broke his hip <laughs> at the very beginning of that trip, and it was completely thrown off. Um, luckily, he's doing so much better now. Our hope is to get up there this summer. Oh, that sounds amazing! I hope you make it. Thank you so much, Laura. That was really fun. Thank you so much for having me. It was. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you liked it. We'll be back in two weeks time with more inspiring travel stories for your ears. In the meantime, you can learn more about us by visiting fulltimetravel.co or following us on Instagram at full underscore time underscore travel. If you have a story you want to share on the trip that changed me, drop us a line and please be sure to rate, review and follow so we can keep this adventure going.